The origins of stage diving can be traced back to 1964 during a Rolling Stone show in the Netherlands. In the midst of a cover of the Dale Hawkins standout single Suzy Q, pandemonium rang out as audience members began climbing up on stage and then hurling themselves back into the crowd. The band could only make it through one more song before a small-scale riot broke out, causing the band to retreat to their corridors for the evening. After being popularized by Iggy Pop, stage diving became a gateway drug for two-stepping, slam-dancing, and skanking. And while the origins are clear, when it will meet its fateful demise is anything but. While New York hardcore icons Gorilla Biscuits boldly proclaimed in their song New Directions that stage dives make them feel more alive than coded messages and slowed down songs, Fugazi frontman Ian Mackay would gladly offer fans a full refund if he felt they were getting too out of hand during their sets. 25 years after the horns in New Direction rang out, Joyce Manor found themselves at the center of a stage diving controversy. In the midst of touring the band's third record, Never Hung Over Again, Barry Johnson pulled a male stage diver out of the crowd in Jacksonville, Florida, and chastised him for throwing all of his body weight onto the young girls in the crowd. A digital massacre entailed as aggregators from all corners piled onto Joyce Manor, despite the band being backed up from scene contemporaries and fans alike. Johnson noted that up to that point in the tour, he had seen girls leave their shows with a black eye, a dislocated knee, and a concussion. But the damage was done. Joyce Manor had been labeled soft, they were crybabies and, for lack of a better word, pussies, in a scene that exuded an unwelcome machismo. Despite the digital uproar that ensued, Joyce Manor's legacy has persevered. Known for their thrashy, less-than-two-minute rippers, Joyce Manor became a catalyst for the emo revival movement with their breakthrough self-titled debut record. Their first entry remains a masterclass in exuding emotion through an unabashed punk rock lens. In 18 short minutes, the Torrance California four-piece produced an album full of thorough, in-depth stories that remain as engaging now as they were upon release date. And for that... Joyce Manor's self-titled album remains an art school album. My guest today, truly one of the funniest people I know, someone I am delighted to be around whenever I happen to bump into them. And I'm excited to talk about the album we're talking about today. This is a loaded show because my guest today is Sam Sturman. Sam, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Case. Sam, I just, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast for so many reasons. I, I want to start off with perhaps more of an intimate question unrelated to the band that we're talking about today, really unrelated to music, but it pertains to our relationship. And I want to know what your relationship is like with the show Seinfeld. With the show Seinfeld, what what my relationship is, um, I've seen all of Seinfeld. I will say that I have seen all of Seinfeld. Would I watch it now? No, absolutely not. I watched it when I was like in eighth grade and I was learning about what stuff was. And I was just like on the list of TV shows you watch because that's what your parents make you watch. And that's like your stuff. But it's, it, it is. A, there are some funny parts of Seinfeld. Like, absolutely. It's a Seinfeld, funny show. There's some funny shit on there. It's really funny, but it's not. It's slow, man. 
It is. There's even like Seinfeld was considered like this fast pace sitcom for the 90s. And now you look at it, it's like, well, some of this is pretty slow. But I ask you that question because I feel like our relationship can best be summarized by season five, episode 12 of Seinfeld. The stall is the episode. And that is an episode where Elaine starts dating a very cool new boyfriend named Tony. And George Costanza has this almost obsession with Tony. He starts dressing like him. He starts talking like him. He wants to be Tony. And I feel like a little bit of our relationship is you are the Tony to my George Costanza. Cause whatever you're doing, I'm like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta start doing that. Or I gotta start dressing like that. Like Sam Sturman's is kind of the coolest dude I know. And I don't know how familiar you are with my feelings towards you basically, but that's kind of what they are. Damn, that's pretty cool, man. I didn't know that. I, you know, it's weird that you say that, man, because I just think of us as like dudes. Like we're just chilling right now. Like, but like that's that's cool, man. Like I look up to your shit, man. I, it's so cool that you got podcasts and shit. Oh, it's really cool that I have a podcast. People love it. Women especially are like, it's really cool that you host a podcast. Yeah, is that is that is that do you? Is that good? <laughs> oh, yes. I lead off all conversation with, you know, on my podcast, I was recently talking about this, and then I, I watched just kind of dread fall over the face of, of women. But, you know, you know, it, it works for you, though. Not everyone should have a podcast. No. And, and that's a, this is a problem. It, there's almost a podcast epidemic where it's like, okay, there are 10,000 podcasts and there should only be four podcasts. And I think you should have a podcast because you have the voice for it. That is so kind of you to say that really that's I'm taking that one to the grave. That means a ton. I, I'm surprised within like the people we know in the college Chicago comedy scene, this bubbling scene right now, how few people that we know have started podcasts in the midst of the pandemic. I kind of thought just with an Ari media bubble, there would be a million of them that I would have two or three episodes and then flame out. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Do you know, um, you know, Matt Hill? I don't think so. You know, you know, Kevin though, Kevin Gerbaldi. Yes, I do know Kevin. So they're my roommates right now Two uh, two of my roommates. And, they they have a, a podcast called the Trend Zone that they recorded like years ago. It's great. They make like YouTube playlists for each other and then just like watch them. And then one time, I think they just listened to poop sounds the entire podcast. <laughs> You know, know the, the, the beautiful thing about podcasting is that there really is space in the marketplace for just about anything, and including uh, said poop sounds. Bro, did you did you did you see Midnight Gospel? No. Oh, dude, you got to watch this. You know, James, I don't even know his last name. James Dugan, Duncan, Duncan something. Duncan. I, I, I don't I don't think I'm familiar. Please enlighten me. OK, I don't I don't. He's got a podcast. I don't know. But the guy from Adventure Time created a show around it using audio from his podcast. And it's a really interesting animated TV show on Netflix. Check it out, man. It's it, the last episode is like him talking to his mom before his mom is going to die. And it's absolutely insane. Oh, my God. This sounds incredible. What's the show called again? Midnight Gospel. I've seen it like three times now. It's really good. All right. Well, once I'm done with this, that's obviously what I'm going to go do, because that sounds absolutely terrific. Uh, yeah, is, is that what has been keeping you company in? Uh, it sounds so cliche, these unprecedented times, but I kind of want to know because you're someone who I primarily see you. Uh, a lot of our relationship is you uh, killing it 
doing improv and then you kind of walking off the stage and seeing me and you kind of give me like, oh, what's up, fist bump, and then that's kind of it. Like, that's primarily where we see each other, but obviously there's no live performances right now. What has been keeping you entertained for the last six months? You know, it's it, it's weird, man, and I'm sure you're also feeling the same thing if you're like, what do I do? And, like, because, like, you get to a point where you're just like, okay, I've done it all. <laughs> I've done it all, and then there's, like, things that you still could do, but they're, like, so hard to do. Like, you you tell yourself at the beginning, like, at the beginning of the pandemic that you're like, okay, I'm going to use this time. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get good at what I do, and then I, I'm going to write a lot of things, and then you end up playing video games for, like, 20 hours a day, and yes. you don't sleep, and then – that's that's pretty much what it is but um i bet i i still work i i work at starbucks which is weird right now but so i'm working most most of my time is either spent working there or I, and i'm trying to teach myself guitar and how's I, that how's that process going it's it is hard man i i should have learned an instrument when i was like sick mm-hmm. i would have been so much better off in life but i'm trying to i'm trying to learn now and it's it's almost impossible but this it's, is, it's fun it's really good this is something i've thought about recently of like when i have children i feel like 95 percent of my knowledge came from the first six years of my life if we maybe de-emphasize fun for the first six years of a child's life and maybe just like make them learn piano and guitar and Spanish and probably uh, Mandarin at this point, we should just give them all of this information. And then once they're uh, say smart, which I have never accomplished such a feat, but once they become smart, then they can have all the fun they want. But it seems like we should be reprioritizing how we uh, speak to and teach young children. Kids should be machines. They should be formulas that we are programming to be the greatest thing that could possibly be. Child child stars that then, be, then can become billionaires by the time they're 18 and retire at 22. We need to create this. And there's no space for fun. It is ridiculous to take your kid to a park or have them play with Legos or Minecraft or swords Especially swords, because even Legos and Minecraft, you can argue like, oh, they're going to be like an architecture and be on uh, million-dollar properties Los Angeles. But there is no educational value on a sword. No, absolutely not. Well, Sam, on that note, we obviously have to transition to the sophisticated world of punk rock and Sam Sturbins, and I'm sure those two intersect in some way. I'm curious about where you grew up, first of all, because you're a West Coast kid, aren't you? Yes, I well, well, I was born in, in Texas. I was born in um, San, uh, you, yeah, San Antonio, Texas. It's it's your childhood, not mine. I don't know. Okay, then I was born in St. Louis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and then I moved to Houston when I was like two, and then when I was six, I moved to Santa Cruz, California, and that's where I lived until I came to Chicago. That so, is that is a sick upbringing. I like all of those cities. I liked one of those cities. Ooh, which one? Um, I like Chicago. <laughs> 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 those ones. Is Santa Cruz uh, not all that it's made out to be? Now, granted, I don't, I don't really hear anybody saying I'm going to move to Santa Cruz and make it. But I've spent an afternoon in Santa Cruz, and I liked it quite a bit. 
I think I think it's one of those places where it's because it's my hometown. I don't want to be there. Mm. In in a sense of like, I enjoy going there for like Christmas and sometimes New Year's or something. But there's not much to do there. There's like three things you can actually do, and now there's zero things you can actually do because of the pandemic. But well, well, give me that that pre-pandemic slice of Santa Cruz heaven. What are the three things that you should you can and should do in Santa Cruz? Okay, you can go to the beach. The greatest thing about being in California or anywhere is you can go to the beach, you can walk to the beach, which is awesome. And I did it absolutely zero times in the past four years I lived there. It did not take advantage of it, should have. And now it's like, oh, crap, I should have gone to the beach because the beaches here just suck. They're not good. I don't like them. I don't like them either. But to be honest, I didn't like the beaches then, really. But people seem to love the beach. That's like one thing you can do. You can go to the beach. You can skateboard. There's a lot of good skateboard spots. You can skateboard. I suck at skateboarding. I could do an ollie, and sometimes I can do some pop shoving. Yeah, no, I understand that energy completely. Yeah. And, like, at one point in my life, I could do a kickflip. Like, but not anymore. No, you don't have the knees for that anymore. Exactly. Oh, my God. No, I do not. If, if you, and so if you're under 19, you can skateboard. And uh, well, then there used to be a couple music venues. Yeah, and and was, not not was, anymore, my friend. No, yeah, I know. And there was there's one theater that was good. Well, that is a, a nice slice of life of Santa Cruz. Like I said, I, I've been there once. Uh, the actor Adam Scott is from Santa Cruz. I've yeah. learned a lot about it through listening to I, him in various interviews. But but I'm curious about your upbringing and specifically your musical upbringing. What were some of the first sounds in your house? What were your parents listening to? Do you remember like the first band that you really loved? Yeah, I, you know, it's weird. I I was homeschooled until I was in eighth grade. And most of the music I've ever listened to has been music that someone has specifically told me to listen to. And so the first songs that I heard were like my dad's Jimmy Buffett collection. And so I just assumed that I hated music. And I said, oh, music must just be bad. Like, I don't want to listen to music. It sounds terrible. Um, And then now I have an appreciation for Jimmy Buffett. But... um, at the time, I was like, yeah, this is not for me. I've heard the same song three times this afternoon, but it's actually three different songs. <laughs> and yeah, and then um, definitely Queen was big. I think my mom put me on to Queen or something, but I definitely like, that was one of my first records was Queen's. And I had a Guns N' Roses record that was awesome. That's sick as hell. That is sick I, as hell. I, I still love Guns N' Roses. And I think that... You can listen to them at any time and be like, yeah. <laughs> There's something, like, for as much as I want to be like, man, like, these metalheads suck. Like, punk rock is where it's at. Even I'm fighting this battle in 2020. Nobody else is fighting this battle, but I am. But then I'll hear Appetite for Destruction, and, like, my favorite Guns N' Roses song is My Michelle, and I'll hear that and be like, oh, my God, this is incredible. These guys are the coolest dudes yeah. ever. They're awesome. They, they can make any sound, and they scream all the time. It's great. I did not know you were homeschooled. You kind of seem like the archetype of like the alternatively cool public school kid, but you're telling me that you really didn't have any, I guess, interactions with normal school life until you were in high school? 
Yes, it, it is true. I, I went, I did a homeschooling program that was, I would meet like once a week with other kids and we'd have like a normal class and then I'd go home and do the rest of it there and I would just hang out with people outside of school, which honestly I think was good. I, I was very restless as a child. Sitting in class was hard. Um, Is that when, why the transition to homeschool happened or were you homeschool for religious reasons or just because? Um, no, it was it was that reason it was of the I was not doing good in school. I think I went to one class while I was in Texas. I don't know if that's preschool or what, but I did that and I got in trouble or something. And my mom was like, no, we're taking him out. Yeah, well, whatever this is, this can't work. This can't be the future, which I think is is a, a crazy way to to go about it. Just after one experience, just call off the whole thing for eight years or whatever. But um four years but uh that well you turned I, out all right i mean i it ultimately yeah. it got us to where we need to be i will say i definitely am glad that i went to a public high school because yes. it, there's a certain point where you need to learn how to interact with people and i'm thankful that i somewhat know how to do that <laughs> Well, high school is certainly the place I know for me in high school, my sophomore year, I discovered just a a boatload of bands that have continued to influence me ever since. The band we're talking about today, Joyce Manor, being one of them. But I'm curious as to some of the other bands that you listen to. I know I once saw you at a pup concert. I don't know if you saw me at the pup concert because I was in the balcony and I looked down and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, that's Sam Sturbridge. He's down on the floor. And I didn't didn't know the appropriate way to reach you necessarily, but I did see you there. No, I didn't see you at the pup concert then but i did see either you posted a story or something and i found out that you were at the pup concert and yeah. i was like oh, who's at the pup concert i was like we should have seen him yeah uh, i like it was a weird moment in the, in the balcony of the metro which is the best balcony in all of live music like the the metro is just a I, god I, what i would oh. do to be kicked in the head by a stage diver at the metro right now oh like, i would give anything oh but the, the balcony there it's like i've seen some tremendous shows up at the balcony because i really like the sight lines there but it was weird just kind of before the show everybody's hanging out on the floor having fun i i it was a uh, pup and rap boys and i remember being at the balcony early and this like i'm not gonna call her an old lady because she wasn't old but an older like woman in her 40s which you wouldn't really see at a pup and rap boy show she came up to me and she was like can i ask you a question i was like yeah sure what's up she's like why are you here and i was like mm, weird question to ask somebody at a concert that they paid money to but i will tell you i am here to see the band's pup and rap boys and she's like Oh, okay. We're here to see Rap Boys. We work with the drummer, and I was like, "That's really cool that you guys are here." And then I like explained to her because she she was like, "Well, I used to come to the Metro in the '90s, and like we would just hang out here all night and drink. Like there were no rules." I was like, "There are city ordinances now that say we have to leave this building by I believe 11:30 because we are in a residential area, so that no longer happens." But it it sounds like. Uh, she had a very cool upbringing, and obviously we did too because we were at the pup show, man. We're cool kids. It's crazy that, to think that we might have gotten the last of it too. <laughs> like we could be the cool, we could have the last cool stories. Yeah, I mean, I I spent my entire freshman and sophomore years of college just my calendar would be marked by what bands I was going to go see next. My junior year of college, I end up working as a promotions assistant, where my job is to go to concerts. I don't have any of that anymore. That is 
awesome that you did that. It's a bummer that you don't have that. And I wish that I had done that. I wish that I spent my freshman years seeing stupid improv shows. <laughs> I, I should have been going to see real good concerts because I didn't know that I would maybe not get to see those anymore. There's definitely been a lot of moments in my life of like, do I want to go to the playground tonight for an improv show that starts at 10 o'clock that will be fine? It won't be bad, but it won't it'll, be great. It'll be a little less than fine. It'll be a little less than fine. I have always said the best audience you can perform for in Chicago is opening at college night at the playground because that crowd is attentive and they want to laugh and the worst crowd you can have is technically headlining college night at the playground because that crowd is drunk and they do not care yes it is that is the most interesting room to watch especially from the tech booth of just seeing the the progression of everyone being there and so excited to be somewhere on a friday night to being absolutely pissed off that the show's going on 40 minutes longer than they expected. They can't vape inside. They're, everyone's drunk. Two, two out of three people have been brought there by someone who, who knows what's going on, and they don't know what's going on. Hey, this will be a really fun time. Some of my friends are doing improv. You guys should check it out. And then they do, like, and they're like, oh, my like, God. Oh, that's what improv is? I thought it was going to be funny. It's not <laughs> a script. God damn it. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a, a very good take on on the best and worst crowds in Chicago. So, you know, I, I saw you at the Pup Show. Obviously, we're talking about Joyce Manor. Are there a lot of bands like that in this sort of 2010s punk? I would call them emo revival bands that you're interested in. Who who are you listening to? Yeah, yeah. post-punk, post oh, emo revival, whatever. Um, And the, the answer is not a lot. I... I don't listen to a lot of like music that is like my music taste went from Jimmy Buffett and Queen to I found out who Eminem was, liked Eminem, decided Eminem was bad. Then I I <laughs> listened to like um, a bunch of like Bay Area local rappers who I thought this was so cool. They're on SoundCloud. Everyone's gonna love this. And then I realized that they're actually terrible. And then I'm like, okay, and and I guess the the best I got into, I think the first like emo revival band that I got into was Joyce Manor, and I found out about them because a a kid who was much cooler than me was talking about them, and I overheard, and I was like, I'm gonna look that up later. And I, and I <laughs> let, me, let me take a note real quick. Was that like, was Joyce right. Manor, J O Y S E. Yeah, I literally wrote it down, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go listen to that later. And I I didn't listen to it for like a month, and then I listened to it, and I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, they are an incredible, incredible band, and I really racked my brain this week to uh, try to figure out the first time that I heard them, and I just could not figure it out, but they are one of those bands that I directly associate, especially their third album, Never Hung Over Again. Like, that oh, was an yeah. album that just, I just listened to it all of high school. That was it. I was going to do that one, and then I thought, well, I mean, maybe I should do the self-titled record, because they're, they're, they're both really good. Um, those are my two favorites. They have um, such an interesting collection of works. I mean, they have five studio albums, and you have your, your self-titled record, and then of all things, I, I will soon grow tired, and then never hung over again, Cody and Million Dollars to Kill Me. And 
I know for me, and we were talking about this just briefly before we before we started recording, this is a band that I feel like I grew up with them. Like, I got into them during this thrashy, punk, you know, yes. two-minute song thing. And now, like, Million Dollars to Kill Me, it's not their best record, but I listen yep. to it. It's like, well, these are adults singing about more adult things, and I do really like this as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I would never, like, recommend that to someone. I would never say, hey, you should go listen to Cody. It's a really good album. It's not. It's a pretty bad album. I, I, hold on. Let me defend Cody real quick. Okay, I defend, defend Cody. I have said one of my biggest flaws is only loving Cody retroactively because I remember the morning that album came out because I was a senior in high school and I listened to it on my drive to school and going like, oh, I... I don't know. I mean, this is fine, I guess. Now I listen to it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is just as good as the other albums. And it took me like two or three years, I think, to accept like, oh, Joyce Manor grew up a little bit. But Cody is not really that far detached from Never Hung Over Again. It's just it's just a little bit richer and maybe a little bit softer at points. But I swear to you, it is a good album. I got to You know, I'm going to go back and re-listen to it. I liked Million Dollars to Kill Me. It was really fun. I thought it was good. I was like, this is a great, great album. And I maybe I should go back and listen to Cody, but I think it had a combination to do with when did Cody come out? Like it must have been like 2016. 2016, yeah. I was gonna say it's definitely like my senior year of high school going into college. So I think it was something to do with Kanye West was being ridiculous at that point. And they had a song about Kanye West. And I thought it was so stupid to have a song about Kanye West, even though I used to love Kanye West. And I still love a lot of Kanye West music. He's a very talented person. And, but I was like, this song sucks. And it was pissing me off. I'm really, I'm really glad you brought up Kanye West because I have in my notes that I was digging through your Instagram looking for some clues to ask you because, look, Sean Evans did not invent the Instagram deep dive. That is fair game for, for any yeah. podcaster. You can do that whenever you want unless it's creepy and then you can't do it. Exactly, and I felt like it it, it hopefully creepy. wasn't creepy doing it no. to your Instagram, but I did notice when you hit, like, 2015, 2014, like, throwback vintage Sam Sturbins, I feel like there was a lot of Kanye West-related content, so I wanted to ask you, in the words of Joyce Manor, how do you feel about Kanye West? I, you know, okay, so I, in, in whatever that was, it must have been 2015, or yeah, like you said, um, I got really into painting. I, and I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna paint, and I, I got really into painting portraits, and I was listening to Kanye West a lot at the time, it was definitely, I would say, at, at the time, I probably would have said I, Kanye West is my favorite musical artist. And I was listening to Yeezus a lot. I, I liked Yeezus. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get good at painting and I'm going to paint um, rappers that I like because I was just listening to rap at that point. So I just painted, I painted Ray Schremer or um, Sway Lee from Ray Schremer. I uh, painted Kanye West and... That actually might have been it, but... (laughs) (laughs) These things are very hard. They're hard to sustain. I painted Kanye West like six times, though. Like, there was a point where if you went to my high school bedroom, it's just these portraits, like oil paintings of Kanye West that are, like, somewhat amateur that, like, a 15-year-old did and thought they were pretty good at the time. I am so glad I asked. I did not know you were an accomplished oil painter. Congratulations. Be sure to add that to the resume. My, my biggest accomplishment was I got to paint a mural on my high school wall, and it's just a guy holding a duck walking, 
and, but then I came I came back to visit my high school um, the next year after I graduated, and instead of painting over it and making a new mural, they just let the next class add to it. <laughs> so, so like all of a sudden there's like trippy like designs on it and like portals and stuff and like stuff's going through stuff and they try to like make it some like abstract like painting and it's really funny it looks terrible like there's no color theory it's just a mess abstract art is one of the biggest scams of all time thank you for calling it out it's I agree. It's just thank awful you. if you go to a painting or a museum and you see a painting that's just a white canvas you need to take a knife and kill that shit you need to get that shit out of there well, Sam, I, I look at, at my recorder right now, and if my if I crunch my numbers correctly, we have now been talking for longer than the album that we're talking about today last, because Joyce Manor's self-titled record, which came out on January 11th, 2011, I know on Spotify it says 2013, Asian Man Records repressed and re-released the album in 2013, but it originally came out in 2011. Sam, this, song, this album is 10 songs in 18 minutes, and I am ready to break it down if you are. I'm totally ready to break it down. The Let's album do The album starts... With Orange Julius, which I just I know from minute from second one, not even from minute one, because the song is, you know, barely a minute long. But I know from second one that this is an album that is going to be full of intensity and rage. And it is something that very much appealed to me at 16 and at 21. It is still something that very much appeals to me. There's there's nothing that um, captures the angst of young adulthood or young really the transition from teenager to young adult is I don't think represented by a better band or represented better by any other band than Joyce Manor. Every time you listen to a Joyce Manor record, you are going to feel the 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 crazy emotions that you feel in those years. Well, there's something really beautiful about this band that, again, they bring you that thrashing element of uh, clearly inspired by hardcore bands, and they they played in that that scene in former bands. Although Joyce Manor, the weird thing is they started out as a two-piece acoustic group that were, like, recruited in the Phoenix scene by AJJ, like the legendary folk punk band. And it's just weird to think, like, that's the band. Yeah, you do like AJJ. AJJ for a while. Let's talk about that real quick, because there is, like, a group of people uh, that would know me like my junior and senior year of high school that would say my entire personality was defined by liking the band AJJ. They, they were it for me. Hey, okay, good. What is your favorite album? People Who Can Eat People. I still yeah. like it more than Knife Man. It's clearly the best album. After I, I agree. Knife Man I thought was good, but I think there's a couple songs on Knife Man that I don't need. And That's what AJJ says themselves. They're like, if we had to do Knife Man, we would take off a few of these songs. Like, it's just, it's a little bloated. Yeah, it's just too long. If they cut it down, it'd be a, it'd be a perfect record. But Absolutely. as it stands, People Who Can Eat People, that is a perfect record. It is on my Holy Grail, a top five album of all time for me. I, I genuinely love Absolutely. it so much. Absolutely. So yeah. it's weird to transition from, from that, you know, kind of acoustic folk duo into what Joyce Manor became, but we get it here. And I think the thing that was so... I guess shocking about Joyce Manor was, hey, here's this band who's not playing traditional hardcore. They have harmonies, they have melodies, they tell these really full and enriching songs, 
But like this song, Orange Julius, a minute and 16 seconds long. I love that. I complain on just about every episode of the show about how songs are typically too long. I don't like songs over five minutes. I think it's a waste of time. Joyce Manor gets in here. They do their thing. They play their instruments and they go home. But I feel like even a song like this, for as short as it is, I'm satisfied. I got everything I needed out of this song. And I'm curious as to, especially someone that grew up maybe more so in the Jimmy Buffett kind of music, things that maybe went on a little long, how you feel about this. No, I, I 100% agree with you. The perfect song length for me is two minutes long. If, if your song is two minutes, I like your song, even if it sucks, because it'll never piss me off to listen to it because I know it'll be over soon. But I definitely agree that shorter is better in everything. In everything. You should err on the side of, of being over too soon rather than over overstay your welcome. With music, this is sure. Album length, absolutely. If an album is more than like 13 songs, it's too long. Yes, I, this this means so much to me. Please continue. Yes, and and definitely, it, I know you know this from, from comedy too. If Oh my God, cut your shit down. It doesn't need to last seven minutes. A bit can last 30 seconds and I'd be so much happier if it than watching it play out. There are times where I've been doing improv and uh, like our second scene kills and I'm like, hit the lights. We don't like if we leave now, people will think this is awesome. But I know we're going to have seven more scenes that aren't as funny because we whatever magic was just created there. It's gone. Cut the lights. Don't make me be up here any longer. I I cannot agree more. Just there's got to be something said for for just getting out on a high note man no matter how early that high note comes sometimes it's like okay we well you guys paid to laugh we just made you laugh i'm done i'm ready to go home right it's it's like as an audience like once you get it it's like you don't want to see him do it anymore unless they're gonna change it unless they're gonna be funnier unless you can (laughs) pull something out of your ass that's gonna make me absolutely happy get out of there i got it and if you see me do improv you know i'm not changing anything up and i'm not making it funnier once you've seen it you've seen it yes exactly save i know <laughs> that's just, no one is no one is Let's talk about Call Out, track two, real Uh, big, just, it's such a big sounding song. How do we feel about this? I love Call Out. The the bass line in Call Out is instantly recognizable. You hear that? It's so good, dude. Oh, my God. Call Out, it's terrific. If I cut you off, please go ahead. No, 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 no. keep going. I, I was going to ask just, you know, given uh, what we like to do, which is we like to perform at these comedy clubs, the gritty late night comedy scene. This song <laughs> is called Call Out. I know uh, of, a few months ago I asked Jen Ellison about whether or not cancel culture was ruining the fabric of our society. But I have to ask you, given the name of this song, Sam Starbucks, I know you like to work blues sometimes. Are you are you worried about call out culture? culture and comedy no i i like that your take on it and that it doesn't exist and that and i i think that's a I, when i heard that i was like you know that's a that's a good way to look at it because i i don't think there is such a thing that or that like you said call out culture has become demonized by the the, the far right and all these things it's like Yes, it has become demonized by people who are trying to cover their asses. And it is, um, it's not, it is an important thing that should keep happening. 
<laughs> it's just it's a really tired argument to keep on hearing about like the sanctity of free speech at comedy clubs because even like we're coming off a week where Bill Burr hosted SNL I like Bill Burr I think he's super funny I thought his opening monologue was fine I don't know it was like an average Bill Burr set but if you log on to uh, the dreaded Twitter platform Bill Burr owns leftists with this scathing monologue it's like I don't I don't think that's what he was going for. Like, I, I hear a lot of people complaining about, like, if you were offended by this, you're what's wrong. But it's only that. I don't see people that are actually bothered by it. I see people that are bothered by people being bothered by it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very just, like, someone just wants to have something to say, so they're going to say it. And it, it really is not a big deal at all. And it's just, you should, if you're behaving badly, you should be told, and then you should be like, okay, I'm going to fix that, or I'm going to change my audience, and they're going to be terrible people. I find <laughs> there, I, I think that is entirely accurate. That is just so well said. I, I will say for track three, Beach Community, I find the song to be very romantic, and I think that is part of the charm of Joyce Manor. Perhaps you're the wrong person to ask, but I'm just curious, uh, men to men, do you find a Joyce Manor to attract a large female fan base, especially for their genre of music? Because I feel like just in my own life, I know a lot of girls that are really into Joyce Manor, which isn't necessarily the case for even a band like Pup or whoever other emo revival band you want to mention. Have you noticed this at all? Uh, no, I can. Can I tell you? I I have no idea who listens to Joyce Manor. I I just assume that everyone listens to everything, or no one listens to anything. And I I, I I've talked to several people about Joyce Manor, and none of them know who it is or who they are. And I I think it's because in in California, my friends were and as, as embarrassing as it is we're very into dubstep <laughs> i had a lot of dubstep friends i had friends who made dubstep and did dubstep kind of things and i was not into dubstep i listened to, to joyce manor and i listened to to emo and stuff and but I, I i was somewhat embarrassed to listen to it at the time too and I, I wish, looking back, that I had just full-on embraced it and let it become my personality. Um, oh, trust me, you don't want that. That's how you end up hosting a podcast about this band. <laughs> absolutely. And I probably would have had a couple more addictions than I have right now. And I think that, um, But I think that I would have been cooler. And maybe I'd be able to grow more facial hair or something. Oh, yeah, I, I, that's again, that's real uncharted territory there. But I will say for the song Beach Community, uh, you know, it starts off. I lost it all in a beach community where it was lost is not all that clear to me, which I think is an incredibly funny line. And I'm going to infer that it's about maybe the first time that singer Barry Johnson was fucking, which is very cool that he talked about that in the song. And I, do, I do think that that's what this is about. Yeah, it's, uh, and, you know, at the end of the song, you know, uh, just a few miles down as the streams counts backwards. I realize it's true. Everything reminds me of you. This might be my pick for my favorite Joyce Manor song. I really, really like this. I'm so glad you said that because it is also my favorite Joyce Manor song. Beast Community and Constant Headache are, are probably the two best Joyce Manor songs. Well, we will get to Constant Headache, but I think if I had to pick a second place song, at least off of this album, maybe there's some stuff on Never Hung Over Again I like more, but Derailed Track 4 is uh, the musical equivalent of a chef's kiss, in my opinion, and specifically because of the opening lines. When you make it to your driveway, will you call to let me know that you're okay? And when you make it to your bedroom, do you collapse on your bed right away? Or do you lay and think about how fucking 
sort of describes my entire high school existence. That really uh, hits me deep in the core. Yeah, that that one. It, it's it's amazing how every song on this album can like resonate with you for different reasons, and that absolutely is. Yeah, you're right. I do love that song. There's I, I, something about Joyce Manor that I I just like where it's not necessarily the existential dread because I don't think they really personify that but there is just this kind of overwhelming anxiety almost what 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 I think could be classified especially on this record as like a pre-2016 anxiety where you've got these white dudes from Torrance California that are really worried about the girls in their scene and they're it's not this worldly view like it's very simple relatable stuff that you know I'm someone from central Indiana and I know exactly what these dudes are going through and it's very just I, it, at the time a song like this was so comforting to hear absolutely absolutely and I think a big part of why I like Joyce Manor and not other emo bands is the sound itself. Like other emo bands, and I won't name names, but um, they sound so like they're putting on a voice or like they're putting on like a sound. It, it feels borrowed and it doesn't feel like it's theirs. Whereas Joyce Manor's, I'm like, no, Barry just sounds like that. <laughs> He's just weird. He just has a weird voice and he whines and and all of the melodies are so catchy that it's like it's hard for them not to get ingrained in your brain. One of the larger criticisms that Joyce Manor has received, and we could talk about this as we talk about famous friends, uh, as the band has gotten more popular I think part of the reason that maybe I say, well, they have a larger female fan base is their aversion to people stage diving at their shows. Do you know anything about this? No. What is, what is that? So uh, it happened primarily in 2014 where I think there were two separate incidents, at least caught on film, two separate incidents of these guys that would maybe be, you know, your size or my size, these average men sort of going on stage and torpedoing themselves into the crowd looking to stage dive. And Barry Johnson would say, hey, look, we have a lot of young girls at our show. We've got a lot of kids in high school at our show. You don't necessarily have the right to project all of your body weight onto a young girl's neck. I'm someone that even though a lot of the music I listen to is lumped into the hardcore scene and that is just a part of the music, I hate stage diving. I completely agree. It's not something that I want to... Uh, I don't want to do that to anyone, and I'm curious as to how you feel about it. Oh, I, I, I'm I, glad that they do that because I definitely agree that um, it sucks getting kicked in the head, man. At, at the pup show, I got kicked in the head, and I was like, ah, damn, what the hell? And um, uh, Nikki got kicked in the head. Nikki was there, too, and she, she got really hit. And she, she likes to jump in the pit, though, you know? And I'm a little I'm, – I'm scared of that shit. <laughs> uh, the, the last time I was in a pit, and rest in peace, uh, it was I was at Touche Mori and La Dispute at the Metro in November of, of this past year, so almost one year ago. And I kind of knew, like uh, – Touche Mori is one of my favorite bands. La Dispute is one of my favorite bands. I kind of knew La Dispute, like another band where it's like, wow, a lot of women really like La Dispute. And I, I was – in the pit for the Touche Amori portion of that show, it was just kind of so exhausted. I was like, I got to take a step back for a lot of dispute. And I just had this perfect like tunnel vision of these 
just these like five two small girls getting wiped out in the pit, just getting their clocks cleaned. They were being demolished by these linebacker sized men. And then they helped them up and everything was fine. And it was really beautiful to see. And that is, I think, sort of the essence of, of what this scene wants to accomplish. But Joyce yeah. Manor was saying, hey, if you're even if you're 215 pounds, maybe don't right. jump onto a high school girl. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, they got a, they got a lot of shit for that. There was like a demarcation point of like, fuck Joyce Manor. They won't let a stage diver yeah. like, no, these guys are actually right. It's interesting. And I've definitely seen some other bands discourage that kind of behavior I, I think even at the pup show i think they did a little bit they they i don't think they said don't stage time but they, i think they were like don't hurt anyone <laughs> yeah it's it's I, I i get it you know i i like getting lost in the music too but there is ultimately a danger to it and you you shouldn't have to go to the hospital just because of a band you like at the, at the show uh that you go to so that is how i kind of lump famous friends into my mind it's a very fun song do you have any other thoughts on famous friends I, oh no, that song rocks though because we—it it is a song that everyone can be like, yeah, I know someone like that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, this person is lying and they're full of shit. <laughs> but awesome, I'll let you get away with it. I don't care. <laughs> and I think Leather Jacket, which is what follows, kind of follows that similar trajectory. How do we feel about this one? Leather Jacket is such an awesome idea for a song. Absolutely, it. it it, that's one of those songs I'm like, I can't believe someone didn't do a song like this before. Right. It's yeah. so, it's just, you know, the, this this cloak of this person is wearing this leather jacket and they're not acting like who they used to be. And it's I, it follows a similar theme of almost this, like, it, it really does feel like an album of growing up where you've got a song like uh, a Call Out and Derailed and Famous Friends that are all like, you used to be something else and Leather Jacket is really the full version of that. Yeah, re really, it is. It, it's oh, okay, I guess. Um, these people who were my friends playing Legos with me are now um, smoking cigarettes and and not talking to certain people because they think it's going to hurt their social status or something. And it's like, what is going on? <laughs> I, I, I don't know how it's like in Santa Cruz. I imagine maybe it's uh, quite a bit different than conservative central Indiana. But I remember being in sixth grade. And that's when the first kid I knew started smoking cigarettes. And I kind of knew him previously, but then he started smoking cigarettes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'm like horrified by because we're still in the D.A.R.E. program at this time. Like, I can't I can't compete with this. I don't know what to do. And it just I don't know. I feel like I had a very naive upbringing of and I think I've said this on the show before. Maybe I haven't. Maybe it's just been a, whatever. I talk a lot. But this idea of like I remember being a senior in high school, obviously four years of high school did not go great for me in terms of me and, and dating and kind of being with one of my friends and looking at this couple who had been together like two or three years of high school and like light bulb moment of like, oh, my God, I bet they've had sex. I bet everyone in this high school has had sex. I have yeah. not been doing this, but like, I think everybody else has. And as time goes on from high school, I hear these stories about like senior year, we tried Coke at this one person's house. And it was crazy. I'm like, what was, I was not doing this. This was not my experience. Right. I, I, I had a similar experience to you in that aspect where it's like, I didn't realize I could have been living yeah. in high school. I didn't realize, I thought like, I thought life started at 18. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I like my parents who I love were just always around in high school. Like, even if I had this urge to do anything like that, I just, there were going to be parents around. I don't understand how this was accomplished. I, I had a very similar experience. I went, it changed when I got a car. 
I, when I had my car, I, um, my dad, I was very lucky. My dad gave me his old car. It was a 1998 Jimmy, GMC Jimmy, and it sucked, but it was awesome. But as soon as I got that, I was like, okay, I'm awesome now. I can be cool and I can do whatever. And I turned 18 and I, I bought cigarettes for the first time and I smoked them and I felt, oh, actually, I, I had smoked one cigarette before that with my grandma when I was. <laughs> Because we found a pack on the beach, and she's crazy, and she was like, "You want to smoke them?" I was like, "Yeah, fuck it." <laughs> when I was like eleven or something, and so and then I I bought cigarettes when I turned eighteen. And I thought I was really cool, and then I moved to Chicago, and they raised the price like three times. So I was like, "Okay, I can't do that." <laughs> oh, there's something there's something about you, and I mean this in with all due respect. There's something about you that makes sense that you have a crazy grandma. That is like a clear path that i can see she she's awesome yeah she and i'd say i get a lot of my humor and my personality from my grandma that, that weirdly makes sense i can't i can't explain that but it's like yeah no of course and, and speaking of growing up growing old we do move to 21st dead rats which in a 2015 reddit ama barry johnson johnson was talking about uh, essentially the name of this song he's he was saying i kept on seeing dead birds around me during my 21st birthday or during his friend's 21st birthday and 21 dead rats sounded cooler than 21 dead birds and so we got what i would classify as a full-on ripper i think this song kicks ass my god this song rocks oh my god yeah <laughs> like you can you can jam out to like all of these songs but 21st dead rats just hits different well, I think there's kind of this string of songs here, and granted, it's 10 songs, and I love all 10, but I, I have talked about how I think for an album to be truly great, you need this string of three songs that are just like, oh my god, like these are unreal, and I think the uh, 21st Dead Rats into Constant Nothing into Ashtray Petting Zoo, and we can kind of lump all these songs together, that is such a strong trio for me of just like, these guys brought it on every single song. Oh, Yeah. Absolute. Every hook is infectious. Every guitar part is is sick. It's it's hard. It, it hits you in the brain. It's great. There's a it's, line in uh, Ashtray Petting Zoo, which I think Ashtray Petting Zoo could be the name of a band. Also, just a beautiful. Uh, it's just 100%. awesome. But I, I, you know, the line is, "I walked in to find what's worse than worst of all time," and that is an abstract line, just in general. But I hear that, and it just resonates with me. Of like, oh my god, like that could that could describe anything. What's worse than worst of all time feels like a lot of my life. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very true. It's, <laughs> when, when you when you let it sink in, it's yeah, it's concerning almost. Yeah, it it, it is. And then from there, as we are left speechless by the wonders of Joyce Banner, we can hit the final song on the album, the tenth song. You uh, noted earlier this is your favorite Joyce Banner song. It is a song that I think will live on in infamy as long as we have Spotify algorithms. It seems like this song and your graduation by Modern Baseball and like yes. Planes vs. Tank vs. Submarines by Tiger's Draw, like all of these songs are going to be recommended to you as soon as you make a playlist with any emo revival song in it it is constant headache it's just a constant headache
thoughts on this masterpiece? Uh, yes, it is definitely my second favorite Joyce Banner song, my first being Beach Community. And I I think Constant Headache will forever... I, I, I like this song because as a 22-year-old right now, I... And I have always um, had had my best friendships have been with people who are slightly older than me, and and who are I, I seem to get along well with people who are either like two or three years older than me or thirty. I, if you're yes, thirty, I, yes, I I get along so well with thirty-year-olds. There's something about it. It's where they're still in touch enough to like know everything that i'm saying and i know enough about their culture that like but like there's a there's some kind of disconnect where i get i get along really well with 30 year olds 30 year olds love me i love 30 year olds it's it's good man and so this song where it's like um like in high school i had some friends who were like older than me i'm like they're doing things that i can't do yet and it, this kind of, feel, I feel the angst of this song with with that. It was like, okay, you guys are like going out and drinking and doing all this stuff. That's like, I can do it if I like sneak with you, but it's like, you guys are just doing it and I can't do that. And I feel like almost annoying in that sense, but, uh, but it definitely captures that. Or, or even the angst of like seeing your friends be in love and you're like, damn, I'm not in love. What What's up with that? Or like, all that stuff. I not to sit you down on the couch here and go full on therapeutic, but I'm curious just because that was something that I related to on such a strong level of always having friends that are a little bit older. Right. Why do why do you think that is? Because I don't know why I I have friends that are in their thirties currently, and I really like them maybe uh, on the same level, if not a little bit more than the people my own age. Why is that? I, you know, I are you an only child? No. Well, I have a brother who's three years older, but we did not have like a super strong relationship growing up. So I, I'm not an only child, but I have often said I did feel like an only child. Yes. Okay. Then I think that has something to do with it because I am an only child. I do not have any siblings. And I think there's something to be said about when when you're 30, you are like you've got a, enough of a grasp of your life that I feel like comfortable listening to your advice or I feel like you, you know, like if I had a question about something, I could go to you and you'd be able to answer that for me. But also like you don't have to, and you like don't do it unless I ask for it. I don't know. That sounds weird. Maybe it's not that, but it's, it's, it's definitely got something to do with like a little like mentorship kind of thing of like, okay, I look up to you in a way. And now I, I, but like, it's weird. The older you get, I'm sure you've realized this. It becomes less of uh, less of uh, looking up to someone and more of realizing, Oh, even though we're like 10 years apart, we are pretty much the same ideas. And, and stuff. Yeah. Like I, it's incorrect to say that like 30 year olds have their shit together, but I think 30 year olds yeah. have their shit together more than 20 year olds. And that I really respond to of like, Oh, I know this person isn't going to be just on and on and have all these issues. Or if they do, I it's I'm uninterested and don't want to be in that situation. Oh yeah, you know what? That's that's actually I think you hit it on the head. It's 
30 year olds don't have their life together, but they know to not put their problems on a 20 year old. <laughs> they don't put their problems on a 40 year old. <laughs> and then they'll put their problems on their grandparents and then they'll die. Exactly. It's, it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I think that actually sums it up the most is because I, yeah, when you're 30, you're not going to, you're not going to make a 20 year old feel uncomfortable or like, so this, so you could just talk about the fun stuff and never bring up anything bad. When you talk to people your own age, it sucks. You can get into like talks about depression and how you're all sad all the time. It sucks. I hate doing that. It sucks. I don't. I don't like it either. But what doesn't suck is the self-titled Joyce, self-titled Joyce Manor record. It is. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's not. It's not quite a ten out of ten. But we're talking like nine out of ten. If if I was reviewing it for Pitchfork, it would be best new music. I know that much. I love it so much. It is a, one, one of my albums of the decade. Really, something that I think highly of. What I'm curious, and what I will ask you as we conclude what has been a lovely episode. Uh, you know, you talk about growing up, being surrounded by dubstep kids, having older friends where maybe you felt like the constant headache. I'm just curious, Sam Sturbins, who needs to hear this album and why? Who? Like, specifically who? Yeah. Okay. Just, like, a, a group of people that you could lump together. It, if you are going to college for the first time, you need to hear this record. If you are not going to college, but you are graduating high school, you need to hear this record. I think it's we're just at the point where I think it's probably out of people's rotation. Like, I don't think that the current high schoolers are listening to this record. I don't know what, I'm sure some of them are. Some of them definitely are, but not as much as when we were in high school. I, yeah, there's no appropriate way for me to necessarily approach people in high school and ask ask what they're listening to. I am now officially too old to do that. But I, I just recently hit a point where I was like, oh my God, I know, I currently know no one that went to my high school. Like everyone, like I knew freshmen when I were seniors and they've now graduated. I have no connections there other than my English teachers that I still keep in touch with because I do like my English department that I I was in. Uh, But I don't, I don't know what the kids are listening to, but I completely co-sign your take. Uh, Any sort of monumental change happening in your life, I think throw on joy Mannered self-titled and it will it will do well for you if basically if you have mood swings listen to this album because it's gonna just it's just gonna make you feel like oh yeah i should have these (laughs) that is the perfect way of describing this sam before you go what do you have to plug what would you like people to know about um i don't have anything going on in my life but donate to the chicago bond fund (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have anything. I I um me and my roommate right now are working on an album of three word songs. So, but I I each song is gonna have three words on it. We can say them as many times as we want, but we don't. But it's only three words. We only have one song recorded. So if this ever does get finished, I'm gonna have to um put that on Facebook or something. <laughs> If that ever does get finished, let me know, because we will do a whole episode dedicated to that album, because I already have so many questions. But okay, uh, absolutely. In the meantime, uh, please, this week, uh, check out ChicagoHopesForKids.org. Chicago Hopes for Kids empowers children experiencing homelessness per- by providing direct academic support for Chicago's homelessness shelters. Obviously, in the current world, uh Education is not easy, even for the privileged. I'm greatly concerned about the long-term ramifications we're going to see of this education crisis that we're in. 
and obviously uh, the houseless community of Chicago is suffering at an even greater rate. So once again, that is ChicagoHopesForKids.org. That link will be in the bio as well as the Chicago Bond Fund link if you're interested in donating there. I am on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore K-Slow, C-A-S-E-L-W-E. The podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. Sam Servants, thank you so much for doing the podcast. You are the Tony to my George Costanza. And this has been Joyce Manor's self-titled album. Mm-hmm.